0: hello and welcome back to the three things podcast struggling with how to open these things up um, it's funny I've had people say you should have intro music and I don't know that I don't know why that always seems a little grandiose to me but I might I might try some intro music I don't know because I can't seem to figure out how to open this thing up but anyway welcome back or welcome to the three things podcast. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you today about a lifelong journey for me, and I think for probably all of us, Um, but it's a journey that I took as a career path at one point in my life, and I've, I don't know, I guess I've changed career paths, but never quit pursuing this, Um, and that is the concept of belief, Um, the idea that we all believe something, um, even those of us who claim we don't believe anything, that is a belief that there isn't anything to believe in. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm tackling a big one today, and um, there are lots more than three things to say about belief, and I might do a three more things to say at some point. But these are three things that I am dealing with in my own life and struggling with and and kind of just kicking a, kicking the tires on when it comes to belief. And i got a lot of things to talk about today, including Vanilli, free cars, and funeral conversations. Um, and I've got a lot of quotes today. In fact, if, if you're listening to the Three Things Podcast, you're going to hear a lot of quotes from a lot of human beings that aren't me. Um, and part of the reason for that is that I believe, we're going to start off with one of my beliefs, I believe we as humans are in an ongoing conversation about things that we collectively as different people doing different things with different skills and different sets of um, just beliefs in life, that we are in an ongoing conversation, maybe a communal conversation about things about um, what we can't see, um, including God, of course. And you know, if you know me at all, or if you listen to these podcasts, you know that a big part of my life is kicking the tires on questions about God and gods and, um, the kinds of things that we've been evolving in as a culture. But also, um, you know, we're in conversations about aliens. We're in conversations about, um, forms of government, about r- civil rights, about, um, human rights. Uh, we're, we're just in constant conversation and, I think we sell ourselves short as a human race and as individuals even if we don't constantly um, beat on the door of other brains and constantly search um, the thoughts and feelings of others. And I mean other people from different perspectives, different religions, different cultures, all of that. Um, And so quotes are really important to me. and, And I very rarely take a quote that I found off of Goodreads or off of quotes.com or something like that. Because usually the quote that, that I'm bringing has uh, more context. It's from a book. It's from a bigger thought, something like that. But what I'm hoping is that you'll hear a quote and you'll go, Whoa, that's a smart person. And it wasn't me. Um, and I think the best thing I can do for you as an audience is aggregate some of the best thoughts on these three things that I'm, I'm, um, talking about it at any given time, and so what I'm hoping is that you start to write down some of these names that you hear um, of people who are a lot smarter than me um, that have kind of helped shape me and also kind of helped um, put these things together. So, anyway, as I start today, I, I'm going to start off with with a quote, but it's one that comes from my grandpa, my grandfather, um, Grandpa Mitchell. Um, died, gosh, I think almost 10 years ago now, um, was a preacher and like, a, a, a preacher. Like when you think of a preacher, um, especially if you aren't currently involved in church and you're not a religious person, when you think of a preacher, you think of my grandpa. I mean, shirt, suit and tie, um, polished shoes, um, tent revival, kind of a guy. Um, very, very interesting man was grew up catholic um his parents were devout catholics um and he had a really rough childhood ended up denouncing his family denouncing his faith um trudging his own path um into uh evangelical christianity um which then led my family into a long line of ministry um in evangelical christianity so just a, a really sort of the epitome of what you would think of as a preacher, but man, a, a unique human being. Um, and when I was a kid, he was the guy that represented faith to me. He really was. My, my parents always have been, but they, I think he represented faith to to them in some ways, the good and the bad and the, you know, all of it in religion, at least religion he, he represented in our family. And, um, <laughs> when my grandmother died, which was, uh, five years or so before he did, um, my mom and I were standing up next to the casket. I, will I'll never forget the, what I felt that day, which is really from kind of selfish because we, we should have all been thinking about grandpa, but, um, you know, we were standing up at the casket, looking down at my grandmother and my grandpa was just solemn, Which he he had been in the past. That wasn't rare. But there was something different about his countenance. And my mom just said, what are you thinking, Pop? And he said, well, I'm thinking either I believe it or I don't. And I don't remember how old I was. I mean, I was an adult. But it struck me that the epitome of religion, that the poster boy for faith, at his age after all of his life experience was dealing with faith and doubt that he was still in that moment wrestling with what he believed and I began to think that maybe maturity and belief isn't about writing something in sharpie You know what I mean? It's not about um, deciding what you believe and writing it in something permanent and then revolving your life around it. But instead, it's becoming comfortable with the tension between what we can see and what we can't. What we feel is there and what we can prove is there. What we know and what we believe. And so... I'm not sure I have anything more important to talk about on this podcast than belief. and I, I don't mean just belief in God. I I mean the concept of what it means to hold on to something that you can't touch, that you can't feel, that you can't prove with math and science. And I think the older I get, the more I get tired of the conversation about believing in God. Um, there are so many more important things to talk about. Um, And I think the reason I'm I'm feeling that way is, is, is because that issue itself is so, um, it's just so overdone. It's so overcooked. I remember when I was a kid, there was a sense just that, that I needed to convince people that there was a God and that Um people who didn't believe that there was a God needed me. And um man, there there's just a a a relief as you get to a point where you you realize that belief is so much bigger than that issue. Um and so I want to talk about it today, I want to kick it around. You're not gonna like everything I say um if you came from a religious background, and um you're not gonna like everything I say if you didn't come from a religious background the truth is you're just not going to like everything I say. (laughs) Um, and that is a promise, but, um, I hope that you glean something from this today. I hope that you get a new energy for belief in a new way. And I'll, I'll I'll tell you why by the end. Um, (laughs) one of my favorite quotes about belief is from Bull Durham, Kevin Costner. I'm not a huge Kevin Costner fan. Um, I remember seeing his butt and dances with wolves and thinking, you know, I think I could live without any more of these kind of movies. Um, but uh, you know, there one of the movies he made that just, is just, I think of it as sort of the cornerstones of one of my, uh, of my childhood in a way is bull Durham. Um, Kevin Costner plays a baseball player. And if you're a sports fan or baseball fan at all, man, this movie is meaningful to you, but he, he goes through this little soliloquy at one point that is just beautiful. Um, He says this, he says, I believe in the soul, the hanging curveball, high fiber, and good scotch. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in long, slow, deep, soft kisses that last three days. Now that last one I think was for the uh, women in the crowd. At that point he was... uh, pretty much the heartthrob of America. And, uh, but man, it, it, this kind of a soliloquy is, man, it's moving even to somebody who not sure that they believe there's anything past the dirt on this earth. Um, Costner believes something deep in who he is. He didn't, he didn't mention anything about God in that sentence. Um, although he does start with, I believe in the soul, which is this, this concept, I think, for most of us, that there is something bigger, something deeper than our flesh and bones. That there is something uh, at the center of who we are. Um, I think that's what we talk about when we talk about the soul collectively. And um, I just love that quote. I love the the thought that everyone believes something. And I don't know what what yours would be. I mean, what if what if you had a, a mantra like Kevin Costner's to write? Um, and I, I doubt that's Kevin Costner's mantra. That's his character in Bull Durham. But what what is your what would be your your credo? What would be your you know your sentence, your your soliloquy about belief? Um, I've got three things today that I want to tell you about mine. Um, and the first one sort of breaks that whole concept apart, honestly. Uh, the truth is mine the, the first thing I want to tell you about my belief in, in my life, maybe it's true for you too, is that what I believe. Evolves, it changes, it really does. I mean, there was a time in my life where I believe parachute pants were cool. I believe Milli Vanilli was the best band around, and that they were actually singing. And if if you're too young to know them, look it up on on Google. You'll find out. I, I believed at that point in my life. I don't remember when that was. The '80s, sometime. I believed that if you took a record by the Beatles or especially by like uh, ACDC or Black Sabbath or anybody that was thought of as sort of this heavy metal, but even Beatles, and you played that record backwards that you would get a message from the devil. I believed that. And the people around me, the smart people around me believed that. Um, And and more important things too, um, I remember really, really good people around me. I mean, like, I remember some of the best people that I spent my life with, and I'm not just talking about just family, but outside the family too. I remember good people around me who believed that interracial marriage was wrong. And maybe you still believe that. I'm not here to judge your beliefs, but I remember at the time thinking, I don't understand, I don't understand what is wrong about it. And I remember people pulling pieces of scripture out and the Bible that seemed way out of context, even when I was young. Like, I just didn't understand at that time. And I remember how strong people felt about interracial marriage. And then I watched as their belief changed. And and to the point where, I mean, it, it, it did a complete 180. Um, you know, if you look through history, this is just true of humans. And I think it's 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 so important that we think of our beliefs as something that evolves. You know in the 1850s many Americans, I would say a lot of Americans and most American Christians believed that sh- that slaves shouldn't be free. This was in 1850. And in in the 50s they believed that that a, a white man should own a black person. That's what they believed um and of course it evolved in the 1940s then i mean we're just a hundred years later americans believed and a lot of christian americans believed that women shouldn't have the right to vote that women had a place in society and it was not didn't have anything to do with a ballot um i mean I, i can't get my head around it but when i read some of the smartest most advanced, most spiritually gifted, most uh, loving writers of the time, they are making a case for the fact that women shouldn't vote. Um, and obviously, for most of us, that has changed and it's evolved. And then even as late as the 60s, Americans still believed that white people deserved more rights than other people and a lot of american christians went through the bible and pulled out pieces of things to, to to kind of substantiate what they believed and of course many of us most of us have have evolved in the way we believe about civil rights and about human rights and about skin color and that was as late i mean as as late as the 60s and man it hasn't changed friends we, we still are evolving and we still need to evolve. Every time I see somebody post something on Facebook, especially one of my friends who claims to kind of have a corner on God, you know, the kind of people who, who believe that God speaks to them specifically and that God, um, that what, you know, God wants for you is different from than what God wants for them, and that, you know, and, and that they want to kind of impose everything that they're going through with their belief on you. And I see those things on Facebook and I think, man, have we learned nothing? <laughs> have we learned nothing about belief and about evolu- the evolution of belief? Um, you know, James, one of my favorite writers, and this is my, you know, I, I read a lot. Um, this is one of my favorite writers in history um, is the brother of Jesus. And his writing is not necessarily amazing, but his perspective is what makes him one of my favorites. Um, he is the brother of Jesus and he didn't believe in Jesus. Um, I mean, I, would you, I mean, really, would you believe that your brother was the son of God? Um, and he, he lived with Jesus. He saw Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. He went through with Jesus as an adult and he f- followed around with Jesus and he, and he never believed that Jesus was God. He never believed some of the things that Jesus said until Jesus died on a cross. And he, it, what he believes, what James believes is that he watched Jesus die. Jesus came out of a tomb and, and it conquered death. And he, and he, and he came back to life. Uh, and his whole attitude about Jesus changed. Um, I mean, it literally took being raised from the dead for James to believe his brother was God. And so no matter what you believe about Jesus and God and all of those things, the perspective of James is so cool. It's just I, I struggle with with doubt in my life and and my guess is many of you do too. Um, faith is not a gift of mine. It's not something I wake up and just believe I have to kind of dig at it and work at it. And I think James is the same way. And so I I feel connected to him in that way. But he says this, he says, everyone should be, now this is after he goes through all of this kind of evolution in his life about what he believes. He says, everyone should be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry I have to read it slow because it feels like it's like this rhythm. You should be slow to speak, quick to listen, and then slow to become angry. It's funny to me when I, when I think about belief and I, I think about my own life, um, the older I've gotten, the slower I've gotten. And I hope this continues. But the slower I've gotten to speak, I remember there was a time that, man, I'm glad, honestly, I'm glad Facebook wasn't around. I'm glad Twitter wasn't around. I'm glad that Instagram wasn't around when I was in my 20s because I said some stupid things that I'm sure I would have said on social media. And I'm really glad nobody can can look back and see what I said. Um, and I know that I hurt people by some of the things that I said and some of the stupid, ignorant comments I made about belief and what others should believe. And James says, you should be slow to speak and, and quick to listen. And to me, this is one of the things I'm learning about belief is that I should not dismiss someone who believes something I don't. That I should be slow to dismiss, that I should be slow to speak up, that I should be slow to to just vomit all of my beliefs in the face of theirs. That there should be this sense of give and take to the conversation. And then... James adds this really interesting comment that seems like it comes out of nowhere. He says you should be slow to speak and quick to listen. That, For those of us who are getting past our 40s, that just seems like really good sound advice that we can all nod our heads at. You, you have to learn that as you get older, that you're better off if you're slow to speak. But then he says it's slow to become angry. And it, in, the, in his language, there is this attachment to those first two sentences. And the idea is the faster you speak. The quicker you are to like share your opinion. And and copy and paste that quote on Facebook. And, and call somebody something. The more you just become angry. Um, and belief leads to anger. Um, and so. And if you find yourself. Sort of worked up. Um, when you talk about what you believe. James has from his experience and really good experience, my guess is there's there's some really deep stories behind James' comment here. Can you imagine how many awful things he must have said to Jesus as his brother? Think about all the awful things you've said to your brother, your sister. James said some awful things, I'm sure, to Jesus. And he looks back now and says, I, I, I wish I had been slower to speak. I wish I'd have been quicker to listen because it made me angry and I said some stupid things belief and sharing your beliefs without listening first leads to anger and just leads to this regret I think that's part of what we're feeling from from James here what i believe about god faith church the bible even religion itself i mean even even what i believe about the importance of religion itself and the origin of religion itself has changed so drastically in my life. I'm not an old man, I'm in my 40s, but I'm old enough to, to be able to look back and see the magnitude of the change in my life. And to think that that I might know something today for sure, that I might be able to write it in Sharpie, yell it on Facebook, and chastise you because you don't believe it. Is me. Ignoring. My own brain. In my 20s. It's me. Denying the evolution. Of belief in my own life. It's ignorant. It's interesting. That. What I'm learning is the, ev- the evolution of my faith is as important to my life as faith itself. That that the fact that my faith is growing and changing and evolving and that the conversations I'm having, the books I'm reading, the movies I watch, the stuff I'm listening to, it is not dangerous for that stuff to impact me. Obviously, I have to sift through it. Obviously, I have to be slow to, to adopt these things. But all of that, in kind of joining the conversation about my faith is as important to my life as faith itself. I believe my faith should be growing. It should be changing. It should be revol- evolving as as I get older. Of course, there are unchanging truths. I, I, I know there are. Uh, there are unchanging truths um, that lay sort of at the bottom of our existence. But man, it is dangerous to start writing what you believe in Sharpie. It is dangerous to your life, to your friends, to the people around you, to have this closed view of your belief, of my belief, for sure. This this concept of my faith evolving has changed the way I parent. Um... This is where I'm going to start getting some notes. <laughs> I'm going to get some emails. but And I'm not saying this is the way you should parent. I'm saying it has changed the way my wife and I parent for me to think about the, the evolution of my faith. I don't start sentences with my son and my daughter with, well, what we believe here in our house is dot, dot, dot. Um, instead, I've been trying to start sentences with, what do you think about that? Some people believe this. Other people believe this. What, what do you believe? What do you think? And and start this conversation with them that says, Dad believes it's okay for, for my faith to be evolving. Dad believes it's okay for him to believe one thing and me to believe another thing or for me to kind of wonder about the thing he believes. I think this is healthy. Um, this is why when my daughter and I, when I put her to bed every night, we read quotes. We read philosophy. Um, we don't just read uh, Noah's Ark. We talk about Noah's Ark. We do read Noah's Ark. We do talk about the Old Testament, the New Testament. We talk about the Bible. But we also read quotes from the Dalai Lama. We read um, quotes from all kinds of Eastern religions. That um, This is where I might get notes, but... I believe in those moments, it allows us to, for her and I together, to be able to give our belief space, breath, a place to operate. Um, And in the midst of those conversations, some of the most profound um, changes have happened in me and in her. Um, because we have together started to realize that our faith can evolve and that it should. So that's the first one that took me a lot of time. I got to get moving or you're gonna get bored. Uh, the second second thing I want to say about belief is this that what I believe about God itself now not just I'm not talking about social issues necessarily here. I'm not talking about outside that. I mean about whether or not that there is a God and what this Gods role is in my life, What I believe about God shapes and changes the way I see the world. It changes what I do inside the world. That the implications of believing in God are personal, there's no question. But they're also corporate. That there is also a communal implication for the way I see God. Or the way I see that there is no God. That that shapes the way I interact with people. That that shapes the way I interact with the world. Rob Bell, who is one of my favorite philosophers, name you should look up. Rob Bell says this. He says that that we shape our God and then our God shapes us. I'm just going to say it again because I think it's incredibly profound. We shape our God and then our God shapes us. This has implications all the way back to some of the origins of religion where people, where, where man would would shape a, a statue. Um, who you know, a man would believe that a man or woman would believe that um, that if the crops were going to grow, they had to keep the the rain god happy. And over time, all the sacrifices they would make and all the prayer that they would pray to this rain god, they they began sort of a relationship with this god um, in their own mind, at least. And so they needed a physical representation of this, and they would shape this thing Um, and it would become an idol or an altar or maybe a gold statue or um, some sort of a physical representation of the God that they were shaping. And, And then this God began to shape the way they treated people and shape the way they saw the earth. So if they believe that their God was first and foremost angry and needy and demanding, then over time, they would begin to become demanding and angry and they would begin to sh- to shape their own lives around the way that they shape their God. And so I think this is really profound and I think it's naive to believe that we have evolved past that as humans. I think it's naive to believe that, that somehow we have escaped in our 21st century thinking um, that as we begin to evolve an understanding about who God is, that it it wouldn't have implications on our own life and the way that we interact with the world. And so what what I'm starting to see is that, you know, if I I start to believe that God is harsh and eager to judge and sort of the policeman in the sky mentality, then, man, it is so much easier for me to point and judge. And it, it becomes the excuse for my own anger. But if I believe that he is full of grace, that his love is free and that there aren't any strings attached, um, then this is how I treat the world. Now, if I, if I believe that there is no God, that there is no reason for me to be here necessarily other than whatever I can come up with on my own, that there is no end, that there is, no, um, there is nothing next, then it, it allows me to interact with the world in a very selfish way. I can take what I want. Um, I just should get whatever I can get because this is it. Um, he who you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. Um, and it begins to shape how I think about the world. Now, I'm not saying if you don't believe in God, you're a selfish person. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying in my own life, I've noticed that the way I believe uh, that my beliefs are shaping how I act and how I change. And, and some of the, I mean, gosh, some of the best humans I know believe that there is no God. Um, but what they believe is that there is a purpose um, and that there is a reason for us to exist as humans and that they're, you know, uh, they may have more purpose than I do <laughs> in life when it comes to that. And so Um, our beliefs about who we are and what we do, they, they shape us. They shape us. when I was a kid, I don't know. I don't know how many times this happened. I'd have to ask my mom and dad, but it seems like it happened a lot that I would be sitting at home and my dad, you know, my mom would be off um, in town somewhere and my dad would get a phone call and I would kind of hear one end of the conversation, you know, just my dad's end. And he would say, Claudia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." "Oh, Oh, well, Oh, okay. Well, what happened to your car you you gave it away oh, oh okay well i'll i'll be there in 15 minutes <laughs> and i don't know how many times this happened in my life maybe it wasn't as many as i remember but it i have memories of my parents and especially my mom just giving her car away we had two and this person didn't have any and so she just gave it away and my parents did not have much money the car that she gave away often had major problems. I remember one car she gave away only had one front seat. Um and it had that problem, maybe your car had this, it was like in the 90s. It had that problem where you'd turn off the ignition and it would still run for a while, like blah, 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 you know. And she she gave it away. It was the thing that she had and that person didn't have any. And as I got older, I realized that that her generosity didn't just come from inside her as a person, that it wasn't just that she was a good person, that my mom and dad aren't just good people, you know, but that the, what they believe about the universe, what they believe about who God is and what God is in their life shapes the way they interact with the world. So what they believe about God, and I I remember this growing up and I, I still hear him talk this way is they believe that God, God's gift to them is infinite. That there is no, that his gifts, that his generosity is not finite. That he doesn't just have, you know, 4,000 cars to give away in 2015. You know, he does, it's not that just in 2018, he's only going to give this many good things to the world. And when they're gone, they're gone. Be, because if you believe that, then you start to compete with the people around you for the good things, you know? But somehow my parents' beliefs evolved to a place where they believed that God's grace and God's gifts had no edges. Like there were no boundaries. There were no margins for God's good things. And and I've even heard him say before, the more they give away, the more he seems to give back. And, And that means they can give without the feeling that they're competing with someone else for good things. And this, I think this is why we cannot ignore what we believe. Because belief is personal, but it is incredibly communal. It is at the heart of generosity. It is at at the heart of doing life together as human beings. The third thing I, I bel- want to talk about when it comes to belief is that, um, is the concept of doubt that doubt to me. I remember when I was in middle school, I was struggling really badly with doubt. And, you know, you, you heard me tell about my grandfather who was preacher and epitome of it. And my family, very deep into ministry and, um, dad, a youth minister at that point, I think. And, Um, grandpa, obviously in in ministry. And um, I just remember feeling a sense of guilt because of doubt that had, had taken, you know, kind of taken root in my life as a middle schooler that it does for all of us. But, you know, I, I I felt like I was pretending, I felt like um, I was letting the family down, you know, all of those things. But when it comes to you know, those conversations with your parents at that point in your life, you, you begin to kind of shudder when you think about talking to your mom and dad about your doubts, you know? And I I don't know, I don't know what the circumstances were. Um, I remember I was in my dad's old Chevy, like big old boat of a Chevy. Um, and I, we were driving back down the country road somewhere. I don't remember anything else about where we were other than that. And I remember getting emotional and telling dad that I, I wasn't sure I believed in God and that I didn't understand some of the things I was hearing. And, um, I don't remember exactly the scenario, but I remember my dad's response. I don't remember what I was struggling with. Um, but I remember my dad's response. There was a long pause. I thought there might, it might be followed by timeout or something, but, his response was something like he was really proud of me (laughs) that my faith was becoming my own that I was growing up to a point where I understood the importance of doubt and faith and um dad dad's a school teacher science teacher dealt with the evolution and creation concept uh, conversation all the way through the eighties and nineties when it was especially hot. Um, And dad had understood something that as a parent, I try to remember all the time and, and shoot as a human. I try to remember all the time, but he had understood something that faith and doubt aren't opposites that they they're not two sides of a single coin but that but they're closely related and they're both really important that doubting is a catalyst for new growth new belief um and and I think it it created this I think a healthy understanding of faith in me that I think made me a better preacher when I was preaching a lot. Um, I began to question things more without the feeling of guilt or without the feeling that I shouldn't. Um, I began to sort of think, see doubt as again, a catalyst or as a, as sort of a ignition for, for learning. Um, And it's created in me now. I have this, I have a confession. I, I love alien shows. I just love these shows. I don't know if you see these on the History Channel um, or on the Science Channel. One of my favorites is Ancient Aliens um, on on the uh, History Channel where they go back into you know ancient Egypt and show how they think maybe the aliens helped build the pyramids. And I know that sounds ridiculous to some of you. The truth is I, I love the tension that is created in me when I turn one of those things on and I laugh at the title, you know, Ancient Aliens help the Mayan culture develop there, whatever, you know, and I laugh at the title. Five minutes in, the first commercial comes, and man, I'm a believer all of a sudden, and I love the thought that they're aliens that helped build the pyramids, and that explains Easter Island, and, you know, oh, that explains this and that and the things in history that are unexplainable, and I love that. I go to commercial break, and I start thinking about the implications. They come back from commercial break, and then somebody says something crazy, and I go, (laughs) Oh, that's ridiculous. And it's all ridiculous. And I, I kind of have this doubt again. And then I go back to, and there's this tension between what I believe and what I don't believe that I actually really enjoy. And I, I honestly believe that it may go all the way back to that moment in the Chevy with my dad, where I wasn't chastised or disciplined for questioning what I believed. But instead, Dad gave me this sense of comfort in the midst of doubt, this sense of um, excitement almost that it, it wasn't just okay, but that it was good for me to explore what I don't believe in the midst of figuring out what I do. And so now I've I've got this sort of this passion for trying to figure out how to live with the tension between faith and doubt and i kind of love it <laughs> i love the tension b- between believing at one moment and then doubting at the next and faith and doubt i'm starting to realize are both needed if i'm going to grow the best way for my faith to, to evolve is for me to to think do i really believe that do i do i really believe that women shouldn't vote <laughs> i mean am i just am i just doing this because my grandfather did and because, and I'm not, I'm not playing down what my grandfather or my great granddad or my, I, I'm just, it, it, is there a moment where I can say, do I really believe that this is the way we move forward with our belief is because of doubt. Um, another quote for you, Leslie Newbigin, um, incredible theologian, Leslie Newbigin, you, you, I don't have time to get into Leslie, um, but oh my gosh, some incredible things said. This this theologian writes that we live in an age that favors doubt over faith. And he even goes into we often speak of blind faith and honest doubt, <laughs> that that we that our culture talks about faith being blind but doubt being honest. Um, and man, that's such a naive way of thinking about faith and doubt. But it's true, our culture st- st- tends to, to favor this idea of doubt um, over faith. But man, if you can start to see the tension between the two as something that is healthy, if you can start to see the ping pong back and forth of doubt and faith as something that will help you grow, it will change the way you believe, um, that, that belief evolves, That it, that, it, that it moves forward. Madeline Langle says, Those who believe, they believe in God, but without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. <laughs> if you're a God person... This is an incredible quote for you to internalize today. If if you come to a place in your life where you stop doubting, if you come to a place in your life where you have written it in Sharpie and you have stopped moving forward, it may be the case that you believe in the idea of God and not in God himself. I have a pause there because I I think it is true in my own life that I become lazy when I write what I believe in Sharpie. Madeline says, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, belief like this, believing in God, may be that you only believe in the idea of God and not in God himself. Because when you start to dig into whether or not there's a God... When you start to develop a growing, evolving belief in something, it comes with anguish of mind. It comes with uncertainty. And that concept, that thought of doubt and faith ping-ponging back and forth becomes important in your life. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes to Mark Twain, I gotta end with this one. Mark Twain says, Faith is believing what you know ain't so. <laughs> you gotta love Mark. Faith is believing what you, faith is believing what you know ain't so. Man, that might be as profound as Madeline's or Leslie's. Just this thought that I I don't think that what Mark Twain is saying is that you fake it. I don't think what he's saying is that you try really hard to believe something that isn't real. What he's saying is that sometimes you know it ain't so and sometimes you know it is. (laughs) And that that's what faith really is. That tension between the two causes growth. So the three things I have to say about faith, about belief, is what I believe evolves and it should. What I believe changes the way I see the world and the way I interact with the world. It really does. So it matters that I dig into this that I read, that I listen, that I, as James would say, that I am, I am slow to speak, quick to listen. And then finally that, man, I can learn that, just like my dad told me, that doubt isn't a bad word, that, that it is the evidence that my faith is growing and that I should keep digging. Well, I started with my grandfather. I left him standing over the casket of my grandmother. I mean, the epitome of religion, the epitome of belief, right? I mean, if the preacher doesn't believe, then where are we all, right? he stood over the casket and he said, I'm thinking, I either believe or I don't. And he looked at my grandmother and he said, I believe. And in that moment, I, I, I remember feeling new respect for him. That he, he wasn't believing because it was what he had always done. He wasn't believing because it was what he's always preached. He didn't choose to believe this thing because he wrote it in Sharpie in 1945 and he had never moved from it. In that moment, standing in that place, looking down at his loved one, he believed. That was an incredible example for me. i as I think back through this talk and and through the importance of belief in my life, I realized how many human beings shaped what I believe. But here's the thing. They didn't shape what I believe about Noah's Ark. They didn't shape what I believe about the Bible. They shaped what I believe about belief and about how I see the way I evolve in thinking about God and thinking about the way I interact with other people. And it reminds me that what you and I do today, no matter where you are today, no matter where you're headed today, that you have the ability and the um, implied uh, obligation to contribute to the conversation. That is not to pontificate and write in Sharpie on Facebook what is true and what is not. But to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and share in the ongoing conversation. To live in the tension between faith and doubt. Because one day you will come to a point in your life like my grandfather did where you have to say I either believe or I don't and at that moment what you want and what you need in your life is not a a piece of paper with sharpie on it it's not a family history with a well written and recited comment about belief but it is attested evolved, improved understanding of what's going on in your mind, in your heart and as Kevin Costner would say, in your soul at the deepest part of who you are. <clears throat> it's good stuff. Friends, this stuff matters. Thank you for taking time today to think about what you believe. And now it's time for the May may you take a deep breath today if what you believe is different today than what you believed yesterday may you take a deep breath today if what you believe starts to evolve and change if you're fighting doubt today may you choose today to enjoy the dance of faith and doubt May you recognize that the part that belief plays and the way you treat people and how you interact with the world. And may you join the ongoing conversation about the things we can't see, but we know at the deepest part of who we are. Thanks for keeping an open mind today. God bless.